Hi, my name is Kyle, and I'm uh, again here with Derek Fisher. I wanted to have a little bit more one-on-one -on -one chat with him, and I wanted to discuss more about his experience growing up as a Korean adoptee and uh, how it affected him of who he is today and what other things he had to deal with. Okay, so Derek, uh, it's nice to meet you, and thanks for reaching out to us. I really appreciate that. So my name is Derek Fisher. And you probably know me from such things as uh, operating a blog called Know What Are You Really? Or you may know me from things like uh, Derek's Dumb Thought of the Week, which can be found on the Facebook group Korean American Adoptees. Or you know me from uh, being the co-founder of the Kai Foundation and the uh, you know co-author of a handbook for birth family reunions. Or you know me from other sarcastic, somewhat amusing um, sardonic observations of life so i know you're a korean adoptee can you tell us a little bit about your story um you know yeah my story is uh, thankfully somewhat unusual um and i'm glad that it is because most people really shouldn't have this uh, you know the background that i had so you know most of uh, most adoptees are, are, are a lot younger uh, than i was when uh, when i was adopted so i was almost uh, six years old um i was adopted with my biological brother and uh, so I was kind of joked that I was a, a buy one, get one free or a, um, a Memorial Day sale clearance baby because uh, I wasn't a baby. I know. And my adoption uh, arrival was yesterday. So, yeah, see, good timing. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, like most most parents want that cute baby and I wasn't cute. And uh, I was still willing to shit my pants, though. So I think that was good because kind of wanted to know uh how was your, your childhood? Was it happy, sad? Were you confused? How was your childhood being an adoptee? And did you have any issues or maybe no issues? Well, you know, the details of my uh, childhood are inconsequential, really. You know, summers in Rangoon, luge lessons. In the springtime, we'd make meat helmets. Actually, I think that's Dr. Evil. So, no, um, that wouldn't be correct. Kind of similar to uh, Charles Dickens, Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. So, yeah, it, um, it had its challenges. It, uh, you know, I'm not going to sit back and say that my childhood was Norman Rockwell, American Pie, and uh, it was great. Uh, there were definitely a lot of hard times, a lot of hard experiences, but... Um, you know, Nietzsche says that that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Well, then I'm one of the strongest people in the world <laughs> because that, uh, um, you know, I've had more than my fair share of difficulties. But uh, at the end of the day, I've also been extraordinarily fortunate. So it's a balance. You know, it's, it's how you choose to look at it. There's a lot of us out here that, you know, if they heard my story, they're like, oh, my God, you had it so bad. And there's others that will hear my story and go, what are you complaining about? You had it. You, you lived in paradise. It's just a function of perspective. So did you suffer from any, uh, did you like have like, like any breakdowns? Cause I know there's a lot of KDs from my perspective kind of had this mental breakdown, like in their late, like their twenties, some end up going to jail, some end up going to drugs, unhealthy behaviors. Did you ever have to deal with that kind of thing? Yeah. You know, it started early. You know, I, uh, my first attempt to at suicide was in second grade. You know, I had to, I tried to hang myself with my uh, bathroom belt, looped it around the, uh, looped it around the the closet uh, dowel that hold, held all the hangers, and uh, so I jumped off this uh, 
this stool, this homemade stool that my mom had made for us. And um, I, I ended up breaking the closet. So, the, you know, the shelf came down. Everything came crashing down. And, of course, my mom, my mom ran, ran, ran in and said, uh, what happened? And, uh, you know, I guess I was smart enough to know that I should say I was trying to king myself. So I said I was pretending to be Tarzan. And I got in a lot of trouble for that one. That one wasn't good. Um, so it sounds like mental, talking about mental health and struggling wasn't a thing in your family, that you couldn't talk about it, you didn't feel safe? Well, I mean, it, it's just... Um, Look, you know, um, your parents did do the best job that they can. Yep. Um, that's the most diplomatic and neutral answer mm. I can give today. And, uh, but, you know, when I was adopted, I was almost six years old. I was responsible for uh, my younger brother. I had lost my older brother in Korea. Uh, I was very protective over him. So, you know, it's not that often that, um, you know, siblings get adopted together. And they really didn't want to separate us because I was so protective over my younger brother. And uh, so, you know, I'm almost six. We come to a completely foreign country. I had this strange lady suddenly telling me that I can't discipline my responsibility, which was my older, which was my younger brother. And so, you know, right off the start, there was immediate conflict because, um, you know, for, for my brother, I was the parental figure. And now I've been fired and no one's told me why I've been fired. And uh, not only have I been fired, but I've been fired by this strange lady who now is yelling at me for doing my job, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that the um, <laughs> the beginning of my life in the United States was less than auspicious. You know, um, first time I ran away from home was in third grade. Um, and I say first, right? So first attempt of suicide, first time running away from home, um, not the only times. And um, so, um, yeah, I had his challenges. And was a would I wish my childhood on anybody? Um, I probably don't think so. No, I don't think I would. Have you been through various foster families then, or or was it just that one adoptive family that? Oh uh, no, just just that one. Okay. You know, we uh, you know, it. Uh, I made multiple attempts to uh, be sent back, and um, you know, they didn't. Uh, yeah, it's because of what I wanted. So they weren't going to give me what I wanted. <laughs> and the age you were, and the age you were adopted at was age six, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, almost six. I was, I was adopted. At, so my, my anniversary actually was, uh, was yesterday. So oh, really? Can I ask you? Is that a, is your anniversary a hard time? Um, it is. It, mm. it isn't. It isn't. I mean, it's um, it was forty years. So forty years um yesterday, uh, I came to the United States, and uh, you know it's been uh. It's been an adventure. It's been a ride. So um, I remember the trip very vividly, um, you know, almost like it was yesterday. I can remember what I was wearing. Um, mm -hmm. I can remember um, you know, how scared my brother was. And, uh, you know, we, we got off at JFK and we're just like, what the fuck? I mean, it just, well, you just could not, because when we left um, Incheon, you know, you're still in Korea. So you still see a lot of Koreans. And then you just land and you're just like... <laughs> It's like when Dorothy goes to the Wizard of Oz, it is completely foreign. And um, so um, it's been, um, it's had its ups and its past downs. Another interesting topic that I want to touch base on is, so do you believe that people that were adoptive later actually have more uh, mental health issues and trying to adapt versus the younger ones? Because we were adopted very young. Do you think there's a correlation there? I don't, I'm not, I'm not a mental health professional. I don't know enough mm -hmm. to really answer that question with any 
any semblance of competency about it. Um, here's what I can say is that um, I think for a lot of people that were, you know, infants, you know, um, yes, it is true that, you know, babies can experience trauma um, and that um, that act of being separated from um, biological parents has, has tremendous and lasting trauma. But on the other hand, um, you know, I, I got to see my, my biological mother die. Very young age or? Yeah, that was. So that was traumatic too. Well, that wasn't on my top 10 best moments of my life. Um, that's not going to make that real um, ever. Um, I also lost my brother and um, that was that was my older brother. And that was that was my fault. So um, that was your fault. You, you killed him. Oh, that's another that's another story. But, you know, it's something that, um, you know, when I came to this country, I had to have uh, six oral surgeries to fix my teeth. Um, I had stolen so much bubble gum to get enough energy to steal decent food for my for my brothers that um, my lower adult teeth disintegrated. So they had to really surgically you know, rebuild it. So um, I try and, and try, I try, you know, it's, there's no contest in pain and suffering. There's no point in me getting the gold medal, and I wouldn't even get the gold medal because there's others that have had it far worse than me. But, you know, I came to this country with a broken uh, elbow. It's permanently disfigured. It actually kept me out of West Point. Someone beat you up, um, or was that an accident? No, my, uh, my brother pushed me down two flights of stairs in the orphanage. The, old, so, the oldest brother? No, my younger brother. Oh. I lost my older brother, and uh, that kind of just kind of messed me up, and then I got caught stealing. And uh, the, so the, the cops asked me, you know, where we lived. I told them. And um, when you were six, you were stealing. Oh, I was stealing before that. Yeah, I was stealing. You know, since five. You know, since so five. you, you as an adoptee, like other some other adoptees I know, actually kind of had were you, criminal. Were issues. you just not aware it wasn't against the law, or you're just too so poor, angry, so poor, hungry that you just stole hungry. food? Is that what it is? Well, my mother died, and my and my uh, biological father guess didn't really want to raise two kids i had thought that he'd, he'd, he'd bogeyed but he actually you know when i went back and i met him he's, he's a fucking liar so i don't even know if this is even did true, he ever beat you up beat you as a kid do you remember or? no oh, okay. he didn't. but uh, but allegedly he he had to go to iraq and uh, pay off the medical debts that uh had been uh, acquired because when i was born it was a really tough delivery and so um, was that even I, true again that's what he says i don't know um because he also, you know, gave a name for my, my biological mother and um, the social worker kind of thought he was full of shit for some weird reason. And so she contacted a lawyer and they said that no one's ever, no one's exists with that. But well, you do recognize um, your dad, right? When um, you went back. I, do, I don't, you know, it, um, it um, for, the, for the most part, I guess. I mean, he's in his late 70s now. So, you know, when I knew him, he was, um, you know, definitely in his 20s. But, you know, he, he wasn't there. So he said he left because he had to go to Iraq and work construction to pay off the debt from the, uh, the medical bills. And uh, so, you know, but, you know, when she died, no one was around. So we had, we had to take care of ourselves. So, you know, we, we weren't homeless because we uh, still could live in that place. Um, but, but you're no starving, right? Yeah, yeah, so we had to go and, and steal food. That's what we had to do. Or eat out of garbage. See, this is another uh, interesting uh, thing to point out. So would you rather be adopted and have food, even if it's severely dysfunctional, or would you rather just starve and not have to deal with adoptions? There's a lot of people that hate adoption, and they're totally 
against it. They consider it like human trafficking. I mean, there's some cases that maybe are, but I don't know. What What is your view on it? Is your life better in America or was it better, better in, in Korea? Korea? Yeah. My life's better in America. I mean, that's that's obvious. You know, there's an immaturity, I think, that, okay. Would you, I guess talk. the question is, would you ever want to, if you could stay in Korea, would you ever want to stay in Korea? Well, of course. What's, of course. what's stopping you? Um, because I'm not Korean. You don't speak the language. So you don't speak the language. You forgot everything. Not, not I even. I, I'm not even ethnically Korean. You know, when I met Han Moo, who's my biological father, I don't call him Opa, right? I call him Han Moo. You know, I don't follow any of the the respect, that filial piety that you're supposed to give to your elders. Do you um, feel angry at him, or do you actually feel at, peace with it when you met at Han Moo? Yeah, your supposed dad or Han Moo. Well, I mean, he tried to kill us. He confessed that the last time I was in Korea. That was fun. That was a really good lunch. It really was. You know, it's, it's him, a social worker, the translator, and and me. And he's just so calmly talking about this story. And um, the social worker and the translator are starting to get really upset, right? And they're just going back and forth. And I'm like sitting here like, what the fuck's going on? And um, Wait, this is when you were a child or when you actually went back? or No, it, so he's telling the story of when we were children, you know. But this is, um, I, had, I, kind of, uh, I was back to Korea representing. In 2018, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I went, in, I went in February and then went back in September. Oh, you went twice. <laughs> Yeah. I yeah. thought you only went once for some reason. No, no, no. So this was in September and I'm like, all right, Han Moo, you know, we'll we'll try and have lunch and see if your life is Oh, been, you're yeah. gonna meet him again. I did meet him again. Even yeah, if it was so, is a horrible experience, huh? Yeah. So I met him so again. You gave him a chance. We're, we're at uh, we're at lunch and um, you know, he starts sharing this story. And um the the social worker and the translator are just starting to like get really upset. And, uh, and they're like, I can tell they were asking the same question. He kept on repeating the same thing, but he was talking like the same tone you and I are talking, but it's really conversationally. And then the, then the social worker gets up and she starts crying and she leaves. And then I go to the translator. I'm like, what is going on? And all he could say was, I'm sorry. And I, I just, I'm like, You're, you, you didn't do anything. He's like, I'm sorry. And I'm like, what did he say? And he just was like, I'm sorry. So, um, I go outside and I'm talking because yeah, the social worker spoke English. We're actually Facebook friends. Uh, it's so weird. Um, she friend requested me, and we talk from time to time. But uh, so she speaks okay English. She's not very confident in her English, but she's outside smoking. And so I'm like, I'm smoking. We're just like, I'm like, yeah. And, and she's like, and she's looking at me. She's just like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm like, what is going on? Okay. So short story long. This is what happened. So. Um, um, the my mother who died was not my mother <laughs> so <laughs> this is cool okay so uh my allegedly according to han Mu, so we don't know if any of this is true mm -hmm. okay um but allegedly um when my because uh, my han Mu went uh, over to the middle east he was in saudi arabia on a contract before he went to iraq so when um he went over to saudi arabia my biological mother decided to enter into a pants business that turned into prostitution and so she asked um the neighbor to look after my brother and i right so she said hey can you look after my kids first for like a day or something like that 
Well, that turned into two years. She never came back. So the person that I thought was my mother was not my mother. She was the neighbor. How did you figure this out? Did your dad tell you or? Yeah, Han Mu told me oh. when I was uh, when I was back. I'm like, well, I remember somebody dying. He may be a terrible person, so, but at least so who died? Your mom or your biological or your neighbor or your biological mom? The neighbor who I basically was my was my I, I considered my mother right because she raised me for two years. Did that make you furious at him or what? I, you know, you're just like fuck this, man. Like I, I'm just tired, you know, because the, the problem is this: you have visceral memories, and they're true, but they're not true, right? Because you remember that body you remember crying over it you remember trying to comfort your brothers and but you're just too fucked up yourself to really you know make them feel better so it's like i didn't make that up that's a real memory and then to find out that it's not even my mother but it was the neighbor but but again so we place so much importance on these titles right of mother and father that lady took care of us for two years she was our mother what happened was, why'd she die though what happened she, I don't know. She just didn't wake up. You know, we were trying to wake her up and she was, she just was still, you know, I don't, I don't remember what exactly it was. And you don't, you actually don't know who your prostitute mom is actually done, right? That is correct. Yeah. I don't know. Um, do, do you feel it, it affected your self-esteem or your self-worth or knowing that you came from a prostitute? No, because I just discovered that uh, two oh. years ago. So you know, I, I maybe you haven't up, processed it yet, or I don't know. Yeah, I grew up believing that uh, that she was dead, and that Han Mood said that she is dead. You know, that she died a couple years ago, uh, alone in a in a bus station. You know, that's what he claims. So um, after a very difficult life. So you know, so now, so Han Mood is telling a story about you know. So now, I guess. Um, he got notification that whoever was taking care of us was dead. So he got medical, he got permission to come back to Korea. So he's back to Korea and he just doesn't know how to handle this at all. And so he's, you know, just flipping out. So he takes us, he takes my, um, he takes all of us to a hotel and he has a um, hundred pills and um, he, uh, he tries to get 25 sleeping pills to my brother. He's going to get 25 to me and 50 to himself. So he's basically going to kill us and kill himself. It's going to be murder-suicide. Um, apparently, I had figured out what he was going to do, and I, I started screaming. And I made so much noise that the hotel staff came and knocked on the door and interrupted him. Um, before. So you don't, you don't, you don't remember this consciously, then, you're saying? I don't remember these exact events, but I do I remember what happened afterwards. How old? So, how old were you? About um, five. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the hotel staff comes, um, interrupts him, so he stops him from killing us, and so he's admitting this. He's admitting to attempted murder, which is why the social worker and the interpreter are getting really upset and why they're crying, um, and. Uh, you know, and then they're telling me this. I'm just like, that sounds like Han Mu. You know, so I, I'm taking it pretty, pretty okay. Uh, I'm smoking a lot of cigarettes and uh, just, just shaking my head. I will say at least, at least he's honest because there's a lot of people that just wouldn't even admit it. I feel it. Dude, this guy has no shame. Like, no shame. He will just admit everything. I mean. Do you yeah. see a part of him and part of you or? Well, I mean, I have some shame. I'd like to think, you know, I'm not going to, um, you know. Um, but you know, so yeah, he, um, 
So you got, he, he's prevented from killing us. And then I just started ripping into him. I just started yelling at him. So this is when you got angry then, huh? This is what I remember. I remember being so angry at him and like trying to hit him and like saying like, you can't be our father. You can't be our father. And, um, you know, that's how, uh, that's what so he told you he was going to kill you. Is that all you found out or what? I, you know, I, I can't take this credit for being like this, like Sherlock Holmes, intuitive, you know, whiz kid, encyclopedia Brown kid. But I guess apparently I, I, I understood what was going on. You know, the, that he was acting weird and like a sense of finality. You know, the fact that he wanted my brother to take all these pills was there was something wrong. And your dad did not kill the older brother, right? That's not what's the cause of his death. No, no, okay. no, no. We, got, we lost him. Um, but um, so that's how we ended up in the orphanage was because I told him that he couldn't be our father anymore. You had you you were with three uh, two, two of your other brothers at that time in Korea then? Yeah. OK, here's another fucked up story. Ready for this? This is, this is this is crazy too. So um, so when I go back uh, the first time, I ask uh, I ask Han Mo, mm. you know uh, what happened to June, and um, you know it was like a weird, vague answer and stuff. But uh, okay, here's what's gonna blow your mind. June was not my brother. This is the older one, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. He was my uncle. That's messed up. Yeah. So he was like like uh, three or four years older than me, but he was the baby of the family. He was like the accident. So all the other um, and and Han Mu was the um, was the oldest. So you know, and he had um, he had five brothers. There were five boys. So it was him, and then June was the uh, the very youngest. But he was a baby. He was the accident. You know, and so we basically grew up kind of like brothers you know but he was my uncle yeah even though he was your dad's brother right yeah okay yeah so um and you know i lost him and, and that really kind of i think about him all the time because he was just so cool he was just such an amazing just an amazing kid an amazing brother and um he, he died he killed himself 20 years ago so you had a deal with a brother that committed suicide as well you had that well, kind of issues too huh you know i know that um I'm pretty confident I know why he killed himself. It's because we weren't together. You know, that's what we were supposed to be is, is, is together and we're not. So, you know, it is the way it is. So, hey, um, people that, you know, are really mad um, because they had their life stolen from them. Mm. And, you know, when they were an infant, um, you know, I'm so lucky that I have all these cool memories of Korea. Um, I will trade you. I will happily trade you. I can give you all my memories. I can give you my broken, disfigured elbow. I can give you the missing gap in my teeth where my adult teeth never grew in because of the surgeries couldn't help it. I'll give you the two inches I lost in my height due to malnutrition. Um, I'll give you the scars um, from living on the streets. So, you know, I'll give it to you all. And I'll take, I'll take the six months that you had in Korea and then um, it came to the United States. I think it's a fair trade. If that's what you want, if you felt you got robbed of a of a life in Korea, then I'll happily trade you. Have you been able to come at peace with this mess yet, or is it too long to process since this kind of just happened like recently? And what things have you done to try to heal from like a disaster story? I guess. I 
don't know if there's ever healing. I think there's coping. I think there's, um, no matter what's happened to me, mm-hmm. there's been other people that have had it worse. And you know what? Yeah, I'm a little snarky about those people that, you know, are, are infants that, that, you know, say that, you know, they had such a, a traumatic incident. But guess what? To them, they did. You know, I, I can't say, oh, well, just to shake it off, it, it could have been worse. Because for them, that is the worst. You know, maybe because I have been exposed to so much hardship in my life, I have a higher tolerance for it. I have a higher pain threshold. You know, like the princess in the pea, if they've never suffered and they had that pea in the, in, the, in the mattress, it hurts. You know, I might laugh and be like, oh, that's hilarious, you know. But to the person that's never experienced pain, it is awful. Mm-hmm. And so we can't, we can't again, have uh, a pain off. We can't say who was more unfortunate or not. So um, how do I deal with my trauma? How do I deal with my pain and suffering? I distract myself by trying to help others. So, you know, if I'm busy helping somebody else, I can't really think about my situation. So let me ask you, if there's days that you're not helping someone else, do you think about the bad things, however? I, I, I think about them every day. Mm-hmm. You just have to put it in, um, in that box, lock the box, and try and move on. That's that's your advice to other people that are kind of feeling down and did not have a good story with being Korean adopted? Because I think there's a whole bunch of them that just haven't healed from the no, past I, trauma. I, that's, not, that, that's not my advice to someone. Oh. I think that's a very dangerous path. You know, I think that if you try and bottle it up and, and not address, um, look, for some it's going to be therapy. Mm. For some, it's going to be medication. Um, for me, I actually have a really good support system. I have a really close circle of friends mm-hmm. that, that care really deeply about me. I trust them absolutely. Um, I don't necessarily talk to them about it, but just in um, just knowing that they care and they're not going to leave, um, it allows me to, to cope. But look, there is no cure. I live with this every day. Um, you, you, you just try and manage and um endure do you believe you're actually bipolar or is actually you it's the product of your your past um man that's a really good question you know i, I think on my worst days i'm absolutely bipolar okay and then on my uh, on my best days you know um people are like well maybe you're not maybe mm-hmm. it was this diagnosis so um i i don't know i can't uh, answer that um with with a lot of confidence either way were you actually officially diagnosed with bipolar disorder, or was it just a label that some random person no, I, put on? I, I was I was officially diagnosed as manic depressive bipolar. When when were you actually diagnosed? I was diagnosed in two thousand and nine. How old were you then? I was thirty something. Uh, hold on, I'm not very good at math. I know I'm Asian, but I'm really bad at math. Hold on, let me do the math here. So. Uh, Oh, let me get a calculator. Let's find out. So. 2009. So it, what's, it's 2020, 2009. So it's 11 years, dude. I was so diagnosed in 2008. I was 21. Yeah, yeah I, I was 34. So, yeah. so was there like a traumatic experience? Were you suicidal or went to the hospital at this point? Or how come you decide to actually, hey, I'm going to listen to these doctors and see if I have something? Was like what? Oh, no. Yeah, there, there was a traumatic event. There was a, a suicide attempt. Um you know, I uh, took every pill in the house and drank a, uh, almost a full bottle of vodka. Um, this weird fluke was my ex-fiance at the time. She went out to, to Drango's girls' night, so I had planned it for that. And um, 
she forgot something at home. Can you believe that shit? So I had it perfectly planned out. And, uh, you know, I guess, you know, obviously I was unconscious and halfway to death. So, but apparently she came home and found me. Um, and then I woke up in the hospital. And I was, I was just so bitterly angry and disappointed. I just was like, why? You know, I wasn't supposed to wake up. You know? were, were you fighting with your ex-fiance or was just, you were just feeling so low for kind of no reason? You know, it was just, um, you know, I lived in Spain. I moved back to the U.S. Um, I moved back right at the time for the recession. You know, it was kind of a big deal on, you know, in financial services. You know, I was a senior vice president at, uh, at Zach's Investment Research. So I became a senior VP at 24 you know, you know, managed, you know, just, um, if you had all, if you had a lot of money, why were you depressed? Because I came back to the U S and all that was gone. Couldn't find a job, you know, why didn't you stay in? Yeah. Why I was going to say your Spain's supposed to be a beautiful place, ain't it? Oh yeah. It was one of the biggest mistakes I ever made. Then just go back. If it makes you happy. Well, because I don't believe in going back. I believe in progress. I came, I came back to the U S for a girl. It didn't work out, and now I'm stuck. But you're married now, though. Yeah, I'm married to a different girl. Yeah. So, do you find yourself uh, more catty, I guess, in relationships versus being alone? Or are you actually better being surrounded by people? Do they uh, trigger kind of some sort of borderline, or you're going to leave me kind of issues? Because that's what I feel like a lot of. I guess me personally, I had a very traumatic experience like breaking off because not only I had to lose one mother figure, I had to lose like another one with my adoptive mom with that kind of stuff. And then the, like when at my first relationship, it kind of went really sour and I kind of had a self-destructive moment. Do you find yourself antagonized around people or no? No, because uh, ultimately what uh, I was really lucky, I was able to, um, kind of change the the balance of power a little bit so basically people don't leave me mm-hmm. i leave that um and i don't necessarily leave them i don't i don't do it and like i'm gonna leave you before you can leave me mm-hmm. so that's that's a common tactic yep. that people that have abandoned yep. issues will adoptive disorder do you speak yeah, spanish so, by the way or no i say claro okay oh he does um no um Mira, and and my opinion, the the cosa más importante is um, the po- the poder is uh, adentro a me, right? So the power's in me, and you know. So what um, if you can you know find yourself in a situation where the other person wants to be with you more than they want than you want to be with them, mm-hmm. then you'll never get abandoned. And you don't have to worry about leaving them because you have the security and confidence in knowing that they don't want to leave you. You know, it's something that um, I've been uh, very, very lucky. And, um, you know, we, uh, we're at to the point now where it's kind of dumb and irresponsible to count the notches in my belt. Um, it's a big belt, and uh, it's not something to even be proud of. It's kind of gross. It really is. And um, So it sounds like you're able, to handle, you're able to handle it in a more mature and adult way. Maybe the pat worst is, is over, possibly. You know, you know what I realized is two wrongs don't make a right. You know, and for all the difficulty I had growing up, and you know, all the girls that wouldn't ever talk to me because of the way I looked. When I when I I paid back women plus interest. You know, I hurt women. I took advantage of them. I um, you know, I'd uh, seduce them and then and then leave because I thought it was like revenge. 
it was, it was payback for all the, you know, the years growing up when I just got rejected over and over again. And I got to be someone that, you know, people wanted to be with. And then I was ruthless. I just said, well, I don't want to be with you. And I don't have to be with you because I can get whoever I want. And um, I always thought it would feel good. I always thought like, ah, you know, he who lasts last, lasts best, mm-hmm. right? Revenge is a dish best served cold. Revenge is stupid. Revenge is just, you know, you know I'm going to hurt the most with me. me. Yep. yep, exactly. Yep. They say when you drink the poison, you're actually killing yourself. You know, I wasn't smart. So and, you know, I wasn't I, either. Actually, I'm really smart, yep. right? But I was so, I'm not smart enough to understand that. So I thought that that would be uh, therapeutic and it actually ended up making me feel worse. So, um, why, if I know what pain is like, why would I purposely inflict it on somebody else? Mm-hmm. How, how horrible is that? Yeah, it sounds like you kind of matured and actually able to handle a relationship actually really well now. Well, I don't know. It depends on what day you ask my wife. So have you had any recent bipolar really low sprouts or, or as bad as what they used to be? Or does it come and go? You know, so I was supposed to be on medication for the rest of my life. I was supposed to, you know. Uh, yeah, you're taking a holistic approach. How's that going? Uh, it's going pretty well. You know, yeah, I'm not on medication. Um, and it was really hard not to be. Uh, I don't recommend it, by the way. Um, it's almost impossible to do. Uh, it took two years of, um, <laughs> it was hard. How the hell can you control your sleep, man? When I was off meds, I could, I was always yeah, up my- 24 hours or sleep 24 hours. Well, I don't I, I'm operating on two hours of sleep for the past 48 hours. Do you think that's really healthy for a bipolar person? I wanted to tell you that. I know you're making big ends, but health is kind of important too, don't you think? Um, I think that what's more important is what we do with our day. So it's quantity versus quantity. Um, But, you know, look, it's, yeah, I'm not going to, I don't want to um, even imply to somebody that, uh, you know, if, if medical health professionals deem you that you have to be on, you know, these medications. Mm. They, they didn't do it because they want to see you drugged up. Yep. They do it because they think it's in your best interest. The reality I, for me is I know I need to be on it, so I don't care what people I, think. Well, um, okay, so what, what, what I knew is this. Um, I only have one comparative advantage in my life, and that's my brain. And uh, being on these medications made, made my brain fuzzy. I just couldn't really think as sharply, and so I was kind of screwed because I needed that advantage to be competitive with other people. So, you know, I had a dilemma was if I was, if I went off the medication, um, I was probably going to die uh, or I could stay on the medication and just, um, you know, be a, a catatonic vegetable. And um, both options were, were unacceptable. So I saw this movie called the beautiful mind. Yeah. I knew you were going to bring that movie much. up. Russell yeah. Crowe. I was just going to ask yeah, you this. Because no, because at the very end, you know, he's asking that person, he's like, hey, do you see that guy in the corner? And the guy's like, what, what guy in the corner? And he's like, oh, okay, so he knew he was seeing it in his mind, right? So that was my template. I was like, okay, cool. I can use people I trust to ask them. So I do ask people quite often. I'm like, yeah, hey, I had this thought. Is that, is that manic? And if they go, yeah, then I guess what? I don't think about it ever again. I drop it. So I don't, I don't, I don't allow that thought to dwell so you're actually willing yeah, but to let go your ego and listen to people. How are you able to let go if 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 I was off meds, I'd be suicidal 
every day, and I don't know how you could do Maybe that. Maybe you weren't suicidal. Maybe you aren't suicidal then, right? Oh, you know, don't. I'm I'm pretty competitive. So I, I'm like, oh, I can show you that. But you know, I am, guys. But the difference is, is that I have a um, a guide. I have a hand on the rope of reality. So if I didn't have that, I'd absolutely be in that dark space, just like you guys. Or I'm sorry, just, just like you. Guys. Have you ever read like psychology or like uh, life coach books at all? Like like Tony Robbins. Oh, no. so, so you kind of learned this all on your your experience, and huh? It was um, trial and error. So you were probably hospitalized a lot of times, I'm guessing, right? I was hospitalized one large period of time. I had, you know, other brief, you know, stints. Mm -hmm. Nothing that was, you know, weeks and weeks like the in 2009. So, yeah. 2009 was your bad year, wasn't it? Yeah, I actually hung my rope in 2009. It was my first suicide attempt. Yeah, I'm not really fond of the whole hanging aspect, you know, and... Um, I I didn't even hang. All I did was hang the rope, and my dad saw it in the gazebo, so he thought I, I was doing something bad. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm just like too much of a pussy to do like a gun or anything like that. It's just more. Uh, that's that's Travis. Tell him why you didn't think committing suicide was a good idea because you get people. There's too many. There's too many people that go wrong. The the main thing is that the, you might be gone, but there's a lot. There might be a lot of people that might miss you. At least I had that support system. So back yeah, in the day, that's not. the reason why I I didn't do much with it. I always go to a hospital or something. You know, it's something that we're, uh, you know, I made a promise. So to your you know, wife? Uh, yeah. Um, so we, um, you know, my word's important to me. So I made a promise. So the option is no longer available to me. So I have to figure a way to, to cope. Could you describe a little bit more of your school life? I know that you mentioned that you were bullied. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, you guys, uh, in some ways have it really good and in some ways have it really bad. But, uh, you know, what I can tell you is that growing up in rural Pennsylvania mm -hmm. in the 1980s sucked ass. Because so, of racism um, or were they racist? Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, it, uh, you know, they weren't, look, I think racism is taught. I think that kids, um, when they're in the kindergarten and first grade, we don't really know enough to, to hate someone based on, on skin color or the shape of one's eyes or the color of one's hair, right? So, um, but right around, you know, sixth, seventh grade when puberty hits, you know, that insecurity really manifests itself into, you know, some people just acting like just, just epic douchebags. And, um, you know, I, I was slower to develop, you know, so, you know, when I, when I came into, you know, junior high, you know, I was still under a hundred pounds by a good amount. You know, I was probably, about, I think 88 pounds and I was probably like 410. So, you know, I didn't really grow into uh, my adult body. I didn't really start doing that until I was a junior in high school. So, you know, so eighth, ninth, um, seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th grade, uh, I was well undersized and, um, you know, people took advantage of it. And, uh, you know, you had to just kind of get good at timing things just right, making sure that, you know, the football team doesn't see you. Um, and then, um, you know, uh, my end, near the end of my 10th grade, uh, beginning of my 11th grade year, um, I just had enough. And what I also knew was my brother was, was, two, was two years behind me, right? So as a junior, he's going to be a freshman. So if they're going to pick on me, 
Um, what are they going to do to him as a freshman? Um, and I think that was really the motivator to say, okay, um, you got to start bulking up, you know, and, um, and I started getting into a lot of fights because I had to defend myself because I had to defend myself for, for my brother. And um, I, I, it's not really luck um, as in like, oh, you know, luckily I was able to you know, kick the shit out of everybody. No, it hurt. I took a lot of good punches um, and, and getting punched does, does hurt. Um, but we were, I was able to come to a, a realization with my peers, which is that they made fun of me or my brother. Um, they would definitely be getting the the worst end of the beating than I would. Um, so the, the the bullying somewhat stopped at that point. But it stopped for my high school, right? But I played sports. So I played soccer and ran track. And so um, the other schools didn't get the memo that's going to, you know, have the capacity to kick the shit out of them. So they had to find out in their own way so kids today i know bullying is a really big problem do you believe you kind of just have to have fight violence with violence is that like really how to deal with this problem or no i don't think violence is ever the solution hmm. you know i think that um those are the people that uh you know because it becomes conditional it's like a knee-jerk reaction hmm. you know so you get to the point where you know the fight's coming and then so you start anticipating it and uh, so, you know, when I could sense that there was uh, going to be an issue or when there was more than two guys, right? So now it's like three on one. You, you got to take the, the advantage. You, you can't wait because other than that, you, you just, it, guys, it's not like Kung Fu movies. They don't just patiently wait to, to take you one on one. Yeah. They're all going to go for you. So, um, and again, learn that the hard way. And uh, so you have to take the, um, the offense. Now, the problem is, is that in today's society, the person that takes the first swing is the initiator, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that bully can be just be the biggest prick in the world, but he goes home and tells mommy and daddy a complete line of bullshit. And all of a sudden, you know, you're facing charges. So, no, I don't believe that violence is really justifiable because at the end, at the end of the day, you know, what's going to happen? You know, what, it's one punch that goes wrong. And, you know, you were mad because someone was just, you know, what called you a name? I've been called every name under the book, right? So, but that, that one punch I give that does some awful damage um, and that person is, is, is maimed. Um, no, uh, I have to absolutely definitively say, and, and this is from someone who's been in a lot of fights, mm -hmm. um, that is not the solution. It's just not. Um, and if someone calls you, um, you know, a pansy or a chicken or a wimp, so what? It doesn't matter. It's not worth jail, and it's not worth you know physically hurting someone that they're that they're permanently disfigured. So, how well did you do in school? Uh, were you able to study with your trying to cope with your uh, family life, or how was it? How did you? Well, you know, um, as an adult, you seem like a pretty smart guy. Uh, I think smart's relative. You know. Um, you know, I came to this country in May of 1980, mm -hmm. and I went to first grade in September. Um, the first year uh, in first grade at the uh, so right around February, you take these standardized test scores, at least yep. we used to back in the day. They're called Iowa test scores. And so the uh, the first my first grade, I took my Iowa test scores, and they were kind of so uh, a little bit alarmed because um, they uh, they came back and uh, I was reading at a 12th grade level. So they're like, holy crap. I mean, like this guy arrived in May of 1980, didn't speak any English. You know, I spoke. I spoke so you speak Korean, all right? Korean and you, you only right, spoke yeah. Korean. So in, in my adoption files, it says advanced in Korean and Hangul and stuff. 
So I knew nothing in, in English. And, you know, then nine months later, I essentially graduated high school. You know, I, I could read at that level, you know, and then, you know, second grade, I was, you know, doing algebra. So they, I was categorized as something called profoundly gifted, um, which meant the school was really easy for me. And uh, I just thought they were just the most gorgeous things in the world. And uh, so I said, okay, I- I'm going to stop being good at school and I'm going to become cool. Mm. So th- and you got involved in sports, right? That's what no, you're saying, Jock? No, no, oh. I, was, I, I was too small for sports back then. Oh. So I couldn't, you know, I was too scrawny. So basically I had to just basically become funny. I had to become a smart ass. Okay, so, so you're I, the clown of the school, huh? No other path. So yeah, I just deliberately tanked school. Um, it was just too easy anyway. You know, there, there wasn't, I wasn't really learning anything. And you never had to go to, uh, well, sometimes people are so smart, they find it just wasteful to uh, even study. Travis and I aren't very smart, so that's kind of why we kind of go the more hard work effort. But I think sometimes when you're so smart, you just, I mean, if it doesn't challenge you, then you just don't care. But So did you actually complete high school, or did you have to go back to the GED? Because I know some Korean adoptees actually had to go back to their GED, and they didn't complete high school. Well, well see, that's what's hilarious, is because uh, I was a National Merit Scholar, but I also barely graduated high school. So I was gifted mm-hmm. um, a, a, D, a D minus in physics, um, because if I had failed physics, I was going to have to repeat 12th grade. And here's the other irony of it, too, is I was the captain of our quiz bowl team, mm-hmm. which is like like for dorks. Like, okay. This is like the biggest dorks of the county. And I was really good. At it. I was a four-year captain mm-hmm. of, of my school and, um, you know, um, two-time state champion, uh, one-time runner-up. So, you know, obviously, you know, innate ability, uh, intelligence-wise, yes. But um, I was gifted. Uh, my graduation i did not earn it they said we just can't have this kid back at school anymore it's just it's just it's not no just give him the d minus and and get him the hell out of here so you weren't so, you, you weren't held yeah. back then right you just no I okay gotcha back. okay have you ever taken an iq test before yes i have yeah. what are you are you like mensa level is that what they call it or it's uh it's not low but it doesn't really matter does mm-hmm. it my dad used to tell me something that I, I, was one of my favorite quotes. He said, um, intelligence at 25 cents will buy you a cup of coffee. And so I, I, I kind of morphed it for the earlier interview and told you guys what, the, uh, what that was. But you know, the reason why he told me that was because um, intelligence doesn't mean shit. And some of the most unsuccessful people in the world. I'll be honest. I was always jealous of the dudes that just like slacked off. And here I was like studying like late at night and then like people like could just easily pass. Were you those type of dudes that don't even have to study and then just say, hey. I could pass these. Yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, okay. So, you know, like, uh, obviously school was not really for me. Right. Yeah. So my, my collegiate career was, was pretty terrible as well. Um, you know, two years ago, I made the decision to finally get my degree. So I, you know, I went to, to Penn state and I started from scratch basically. And in two years I got two degrees. Um, and you know, um, was on track to graduate from honors till I had to move and had a really bad semester, but, um, you know, so I got two degrees mm-hmm. in two years. You know, sounds like it was really easy for you, huh? It, uh, you know, I, I took nine classes in one semester, seven of which were, you know, foreign level. Um, and I think I, I was at a three, nine on that, that semester, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because your work ethic is so much more important. Yeah, that's true. All the things that I've, I've been successful in, in, in achieved in my life have not been because I was smart. It's because I've been willing to outwork everybody. That's the difference. So, so do I don't you, really know how much my intelligence is really Do you believe people that are highly intelligent actually suffer from like some sort of personality disorder or mental health disorders? Does it correlate, you think, or no? 
I think it depends on the psychologist, the psychiatrist you ask. The more genius you are, the more you, <laughs> more mental health issues you have. That's what I was kind of asking, or maybe yeah, not. I think, yeah, it's contingent with the the psychologist and psychiatrist you, you ask. Mm -hmm. I think some of them, you know, really kind of want to, you know, lean towards that um, um, that result mm -hmm. eventuality, and others uh, might not. So. Is there anything else? We talked a lot of quite a bit of stuff. Was there any anything particular that you really want me to cut that you don't want people to see publicly? My or? whole goal is to normalize mental health issues, so I can't normalize it if I'm not honest. I'm okay with it. Thanks for the time, man. I don't man. even think you yeah. introduced his name here. Oh, his name is Derek Fisher, and it'll probably <laughs> just be in the title anyway. I just wanted to go interview. into it. Then you, then you asked him you the question. You, you want to know something funny? I find cute babies that were cute as babies became ugly as adults. <laughs> so you guys, must, you guys must have been really cute babies then. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was referring. Si te quisieres hablando por la entrevista totalmente en castellano. Asian men are attracted to Latina people. I guess it's true, huh? Me gusta tetas. <laughs> For supuesto, those boys and captain tetas. Carron, I think some of my exes might take umbrage to that. <laughs> I may have to do some cutting because I know people are going to get pissed. I was hooked. I mean, I was like, okay. Females, um, let, not males. Well, maybe males. Exactly. Yeah, no, 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 not, not males. <laughs> You can loosen, loosen our up. ties a little bit. Actually, I'm gonna take boys, boys, when I finally meet you, I'm, I'm taking you guys shopping. <laughs> it, it's gonna be my gift, but uh, yeah, we got we gotta fix some shit.